Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There's one area in which you could experience spiritual growth this year. What would you want it to be? How about your prayer life? I'd be excited. I'd be really excited, so excited to see what God was going to do next if we as a church were to become a deeply prayerful church, praying as Jesus taught us how to pray, praying in the Spirit for things of the Spirit. So today we're continuing our series on the Gospel of Luke, but more specifically, this week is the second week that we're spending on prayer. So I'll just give a little recap from last week. One of Jesus' disciples asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And Jesus responded by giving them the Lord's Prayer, although in Luke it's a rather short version of the Lord's Prayer. And I didn't draw our attention to this fully last week, but everything in the Lord's Prayer is about praying for the necessities of spiritual life. And that's key for us in our prayer lives. Praying for the necessities of the spiritual life. It's not about praying for the excesses of life. It's not about praying for comfort and security and for physical blessings. And it's certainly not a prayer seeking the fulfillment of fleshly desires. It's a prayer seeking the necessities of the spiritual life. Now, even the title, the Lord's Prayer, I reckon probably isn't a very good name for it. I mean, Jesus didn't need to pray this prayer. Um, I don't think Jesus needed to ask for forgiveness. A better name would probably be if it was called the Disciples Prayer. It's a prayer that disciples of Jesus pray because our hearts are not set on the things of this world. Our hearts are set on our Heavenly Father's kingdom business. And so this is what we pray, and, and, and this is what we studied last week. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us 
not into temptation. Right? That is a prayer that disciples of Jesus pray because our hearts are set on the Father's kingdom business. And the only bit of that prayer that, that caters to our physical needs is that very simple request, give us each day our daily bread. It's about daily sustenance, giving us what we need to survive this day as we engage in our Father's kingdom business. But Jesus' lesson on prayer, it didn't end there. And that's what that's the problem we sort of have sometimes. We divide the Bible up into little bits and so we might do a little study on what the Lord's Prayer says. But, but Jesus' lesson didn't end there. So if we pull up at that point, we've missed half of what Jesus had to teach us. The lesson continues. And that's what we're going to be studying today. All right, so the Lord's Prayer is... Focusing on things that are necessities for the spiritual life. Communion with the Father, the worship of God, seeking the coming of his kingdom, the forgiveness of sins, us forgiving others, provision of our daily needs, seeking to avoid temptation so that we can live a righteous life. Those are the necessities of the spiritual life. And so if that's what Jesus has just told us, that this is what we should be praying for, then we shouldn't be surprised that as Jesus continues to teach us about prayer, it's in the context of what he's already told us we should be praying about. And so it's with this understanding that Jesus then tells us how we relate to our Heavenly Father in prayer and, and what he does with those prayers. Now, I'm telling you this, that, that it really, our prayers, it's in the context of them focusing on the necessities of spiritual life. Because sadly, um, most of the prayer seminars and most of the books on prayer that I've seen advertised are structured to, well, basically for people who are basically wanting to focus on things of the flesh. See, most of us want to learn how to pray better, don't we? Most of us do. But for many folk, what they're really looking for is some kind of prayer formula that they can then put to God to help us to meet our fleshly wants and our fleshly needs. You know what I'm talking about. Prayers for health, prayers for wealth, prayers for a long life, prayers to prosper in all manner of physical blessings. And you know what? If that is the sort of lesson on prayer that you're wanting to have, then you're going to have to go and ask somebody other than Jesus to give you the prayer. And some folk would be sorely disappointed with the teaching that Jesus gives us on prayer. But if you are spiritually minded and if you desire to be praying for the things of the Father's kingdom business, then wow! What a word God has for us today. So we'll get into it. And, and as we begin, I'm actually going to take us to the final verse of today's reading. And the reason that I'm doing that is because this pretty much is the key to understanding the way that we're supposed to understand these stories within the, pas within the passage. So verse 13 says, If you then who are evil... By the way, is, is anyone offended by that? that Jesus would call his disciples evil. Um, basically, it's just saying, you know, you humans, you are sinful creatures. We are thoroughly sinful creatures, through and through. But Jesus says, if you then 
who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and we do, don't we? We do know how to give good gifts to our kids. Is there any interaction today? Oh, yes, there is interaction today, good. We do know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more will our Father, our Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, how does that one verse unlock what we're looking at? Well, firstly, it's letting us know that these prayers are for things of the Spirit. To use the phrase that I've been using so far this morning, the necessities of the spiritual life. And secondly, within today's reading, that there are a couple of different stories that, that naturally lead us to compare God to the characters within the story. But they're not comparisons. They are contrasts. Do you know the difference between a comparison and a contrast? A comparison is this thing is like this thing. A contrast is this thing is different to this thing. Right? And so God deals with things differently to how humans do. Humans deal with things in this way, but here's the contrast. God deals with them in this way. Right? So... In verse 13, the contrast is made very clear. If we who are sinful humans know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our heavenly Father give to his children what is good? Right? It's a contrast. We who are evil, God who is heavenly. We who are evil, God who is good. And we're going to see that contrast applied within these stories. So the first story, I'm going to call it the story of the Midnight Munchies SOS. A friend from another town, he turns up on your doorstep at midnight. He's just had a very long journey. And remember, he's on Shanks's pony in those days. He's been walking. He's, turned, he's a very long journey. He's turned up at midnight. He's very tired. He's very hungry. The right thing to do, the godly thing to do, is for you to be hospitable, to serve them by welcoming them into your home, giving them a feed and a bed for the night. You might even give them a bath. Now, the bed, that's not a problem because you can just give them your bed and you can sleep on the floor for the night, and that's okay. But you go to the cupboard and... The cupboard is bare because the day's bread, it had been baked early in the morning and it's since all been devoured, every skerrick of it, and there's not going to be any more to be baked until the next morning because you've, you've only just added the leaven to the dough and it's, mixed, and it's rising in the cupboard as you speak, ready to be cooked up in the morning. So what do you do? How are you go what are you going to do? You're going to say to your friend, sorry, I've got nothing for you to eat, so you have to go to bed hungry. Or do you think about, how good is that friend of mine who's down the road? And if I go and knock on his door, oh, golly, I really don't want to do that. That'd be, that'd be so rude, knocking on somebody's door at midnight. He wouldn't want me to do that. He's not going to be happy about it. I mean, who is happy being woken up at midnight to dole out a bit of bread? And Jesus asks the question, I want, you, I want to be clear here, this is a question, you ready? Which of you 
who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. Which of you would go? Or would you be thinking, oh, no, I'd be too ashamed. This would be terribly inconvenient to to go and, and knock on his door. Would we go, wouldn't we? Friend, lend me three loaves. Not give me three loaves, lend me three loaves, right? He's going to get paid back. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now, if you, if you did go and ask your friend, would your friend say, go away, don't bother me, the door's shut, everyone's asleep, I cannot get up and give you anything. Would your friend say that? No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. See, most times when we're reading this story, we read this story as this is what happened. He went and asked his friend and his friend said, no, go away. But it doesn't say that. It's asking us a question. If you went and asked your friend, would your friend chew you away and slam the door in your face? No, he wouldn't. Why? Well, he's going to get up and give you what you need, not because you're his friend and he loves doing nice things for you in the middle of the night. He's going to do it because you had the hide to come and knock on his door in the first place. Right? And that's why he's going to get up and give you what you need. Right? So let's make this really clear. The first request, first thing is the request wasn't for himself. It was so that he could serve another. Secondly, It was a request and a service that was still going to cost him. He was going to pay him back. He's going to make three loaves and replace them at a later time. He wasn't doing it to get out of the cost of service. And thirdly, he was bold enough to ask. Now, me personally, um, I, I really don't like borrowing stuff. Every time I borrow something from somebody, I'm, I'm really afraid that I'm going to break it. And then if I break it, I'm, I'm going to feel really bad and, and have to replace it. Although sometimes I do loan stuff. I, Scott, I've, I've borrowed your sheet metal vendor and, and uh, guillotine numerous times. Um, oh, I probably shouldn't have advertised that. No, nobody go and ask Scott to borrow a sheet metal vendor and guillotine. I don't like borrowing stuff. I do like loaning stuff. There's only about three things that I won't loan you. Um, but pretty much everything else I'll loan you. But this bloke, he, he didn't want to presume upon his friend because he knew that his friend would be cranky. But he was bold enough to ask. He had the hide to go and knock on the door at midnight knowing that his mate would get up and give him what he needed, not because he was a mate, but because he was bold enough to ask, no matter how inconvenient it was. Now, how does that relate to prayer? Well, for a start, it's a spiritual prayer. Jesus has just taught us how to pray. Our prayer focus is to be on the necessities of the spiritual life. And the example that's given here is a really good example of that. Praying for something so that we can serve. A ministry was there before this man 
but he couldn't he didn't have the means to meet that ministry what did he do did he say sorry i've got nothing i can give you the bed i can give you the bath but you're going to go to bed hungry no he was bold and he went and he asked for what he needed to fulfill that ministry now i reckon every time without exception every time that I've heard this passage preached on, it gets presented along the lines of, he went and knocked on the door, his friend sent him packing, and so he stayed there and persisted and kept on knocking on the door and kept on knocking on the door. And because he was persistent and because he kept on knocking, his friend got up and answered and gave him what he wanted. I reckon without exception, that's the message that I've, I've heard. And the message then gets given in relation to prayer that if God doesn't give you what you want, you just have to keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on knocking and keep on asking and God will eventually get sick of it and, and give you what you want. Jesus didn't say any of that. He didn't say any of that. And I know that me personally and some of you as well may have to unlearn a fair bit of what you've been taught in the past. The man didn't keep on knocking on the door. We're just told that he go and knock. And his friend didn't get up because he went on and on and on and on knocking. He got up because his mate had the hide to knock on the door in the first place. So what's it really telling us about prayer? It's a contrast. The friend who grudgingly granted the request is nothing like God. Nothing like God. When we come before our Heavenly Father in prayer, provided we are bold enough to ask, got the hide, to ask God for that thing, he's quick to respond. But remember, we're not talking about prayer for the new car. We're not talking about prayer for the flash house. The whole context is about prayer for the necessities of spiritual life. And more specifically, in this case, prayer to be equipped for serving. God is very quick to answer that prayer. Jesus said, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you for everyone. Who? Those, is it the flash prayers? Everyone, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And those three words are really important when applied to prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Ask is, is what we're actually asking for in prayer. What are, we, what are we requesting of God? Seek is pursuing God and pursuing his will. Knock is coming into God's presence and blessing. Something I've learned 
um, probably initially through the Henry Blackaby Bible study series, experiencing God, knowing and doing the, the will of God. Has anyone ever done that? I've actually been thinking it's probably, a few of you have, thinking it's probably time we do it again. It's a magnificent Bible study series. But something that I learned through that has become more and more evident to me since then is that when God calls us to serve him, the assignment that he gives us will usually be a God-sized assignment. You see, if God calls you to serve him in a particular way and you go, oh yeah, I can do that, and you go and do that, who gets the glory? Well, we try hard to give the glory to God, but it's sort of just generally saying, oh yeah, so-and-so's just really good at that. But usually, if God calls us to serve him, we'll very quickly realise, but God, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. I don't have the skills. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the education. I, I just feel totally inadequate. Now, when God does that, what do we do? Do we say to him, well, God, no. You better call me to serve you in another way because I can't do that. What do we do? Do we say no? No. We pray. And in our prayer, we ask, Lord, you've been calling me to serve you in this particular way and I, I don't have it within me. I can't do it. Lord, give to us the gifts that we need to be able to fulfil this ministry that you've set before us. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. This is where it being bold comes into it. Be bold enough to ask. Not because God is going to grudgingly give us what we've, what we've been asking for because we've just nagged him and nagged him and nagged him about it. But God will give it to us because everyone who asks receives. When God calls us to serve him, he is very quick to answer our prayer to be equipped for that service. So, when we pray, don't be backwards in coming forwards. Ask. But remember, it's not about asking for physical benefits. It's about asking for the necessities of spiritual life. Seek. Jesus said, seek and you will find. And he said, the one who seeks, finds. Who finds? The one who seeks. And there might be somebody here today, or there may be somebody listening to the recording of this message, and you're kicking the tyres of Christianity, as it were. You're not a Christian, not yet. But for some reason, you're being drawn to Jesus and, and you're just wanting to know what it's about. Jesus would say to you today, seek and you will find. Now, seeking is more than kicking the tyres. In other words, pray, Lord Jesus, show me what it means to be a Christian. Show me who you are and show me the way to be saved. And then seek 
Read the Bible. Start off with the New Testament. And if you truly are seeking God and seeking who He is, He will reveal Himself to you. The trouble comes because some folk might expect when they say, oh, I'm looking for you, Jesus, show me. And they're wanting to have maybe an audible voice that they can hear or maybe an apparition to pop up before them and say, hello, I'm Jesus. Come, follow me. And you go, wow, Jesus. And he disappears into a burst of stars or something. I don't know anyone where that's happened. Does, does anyone? That's not seeking. The original Greek word that's used here means to, to strive, to search, for, to find something. To search and search to find it. Do you want to know Jesus? Strive, search, search the scriptures and accept what you find. By the way, ask, seek, and knock, all three of those words are in the continuous sense. Don't merely ask God once for one thing. Continue. Continue to ask and continue to seek God as those needs arise. And so we don't only say to Jesus, show me yourself once. Seek continually. And our searching, it doesn't end when we become a Christian. As we learn to live day by day, following the teachings of Jesus, sometimes there's going to be things that are hard to understand or more likely hard to accept. And I find that is more often the case when people say, oh, I don't understand this. Or, well, actually, it's actually very easy to understand. You're just finding it hard to accept. And we find it hard to accept because the ways of God are very different to the ways of the world. And the righteousness of God is very different to the so-called morality that this world would, would put forward. And so we seek, we seek understanding from God. We read the scriptures. We listen to godly Bible teachers. We seek the ways of God, not the ways of this world. And we seek and we keep on seeking I don't care how old you are. Don't ever stop seeking God. Seek him daily. Knock. Knock and it will be open to you. To the one who knocks, it will be opened. So, maybe you've been seeking God for a while, but you're not sure if you could ever become a Christian. You might feel you're not good enough or that you don't come from the right family background. You don't have the right religious heritage. There might be things in your past that you're deeply ashamed of and you, you worry that you could never be forgiven of those things. Jesus says, knock and it will be open to you. I can tell you now, if it depended on my past performance, whether I could ever become a Christian, I would be lost forever. Every single Christian, every single disciple of Jesus was a sinner. And redemption was out of their reach. Every person in this room 
was lost. But we knocked. Who here knocked on the door of salvation and Jesus opened that door and ushered you in? Anyone? Six of you. Good. I've got lots of preaching to be done. Let's, let's try that again. Who here knocked on the door of salvation and Jesus opened that door and ushered you in. Don't be ashamed of, of your salvation. Is there anyone ready to do that today? If you have not yet knocked on the door of salvation for it to be opened by Jesus and to usher you in. You make sure you come and talk to me right after the service. And we're going to pray. We're going to knock, seek, ask. And the door will be opened and you will be saved. No good waiting until the time is right because the time is right now. Knock and Jesus will welcome you in. And knocking is also a continuous thing. We keep on knocking. As we walk day by day with our Lord, there's going to be new opportunities. There's going to be new challenges. There's going to be new ways to serve. There's going to be new opportunities for the gospel. Knock and the Lord will open up the next thing to you. Knock, Lord, open up this next thing. I, I am your slave. I am your servant. Open the door. And in all of these things, in all of them, it's not like God is the friend who is annoyed at us and only gets up and gives us what we want because we've been pestering him and pestering him and pestering him. The Lord is ready. The Lord is willing to answer our prayers. We've just got to pluck up the courage to ask him. Do you want to grow spiritually? Do you want to grow spiritually? Do you want to be used by Jesus in ways that you've never ever been used before? Ask, seek, knock, be bold, have confidence. Our Heavenly Father is not annoyed at you when you ask. He's waiting for the call. He's got his finger poised over the button that says yes, and he's waiting for the call. Verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent or a snake? Anyone? Any evil dads here among us do that? I, I, I uh, continually amused at the way they try, sometimes the Bible commentators try to link everything up. And they've, I've, I've read one commentary where it said, um, oh, the fish in that region were very long and skinny. And um, so it's sort of drawing the comparison between these things that, are, that, that can look alike. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's, it's just asking a stupid question. If your son comes to you and says, Dad, can I have fish fingers for breakfast? And you're going to say, 
Sure, have this snake, red belly black. You're not going to do it. It's just stupid. Why wouldn't you do that for your son? Because you know it's not good for them. Or if he asks you for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? And once again, oh, they say scorpions, when they get a bit scared, they can curl up into a little round thing and, and so sort of they look alike like an egg. They do not look like an egg. You can tell the difference. You're like you go to those food works and my wife taught me this because she used to be a checkout chick with Franklin's. Um, but apparently when you get the eggs, before you actually buy them, you should actually look and check that none of them are broken. Now, I think you'd probably notice if you opened them up and there was 11 eggs and one coiled up scorpion in there. You'd notice, wouldn't you? And if your son says to your dad, can I have a boiled egg for breakfast? He says, sure. And then you throw a, a scorpion onto him to sting him. Which of you dads would do that? None of you. Why not? Because you know, even though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. Now, this is where the teaching of Jesus diverges markedly from the prevailing teaching of today and particularly with the Pentecostal realm. And it revolves around what we consider good. The message we often hear, and it's a message which is very well received by many, is Jesus wants to bless you and make you prosper. He wants you to have all of the very best in life. He wants you to be lacking for nothing so that you can have plenty of money to be comfortable. You can have plenty of things, a nice house, enjoyable holidays, because he wants you to enjoy your holidays, your life, a nest egg of security so you don't have to, have to worry about things. He wants you to have that promotion so that you can do greater things for him because you'll be in a higher position. And the message is, ask for those things and keep on asking for them and God will give them to you. So that's what gets taught. But Jesus has just told us that our Heavenly Father will only give us what is good for us. Does God give us wealth? Well, you go and ask a devout Christian who is living in a third world country and who prays daily for his daily bread and only just has the scarce amount to keep him and his family alive and, and is currently living in poverty. Ask him, does, does God give us wealth? We see it happen in Australia. Why? Because we're in a wealthy country. And because if that's what you set your heart on, if that's what you set your mind on, you can achieve wealth. I can tell every one of you confidently, if that is what you make, the number one thing in your life, then you can achieve that. But when I pray for it, is it God who gives it to me? Perhaps sometimes he does. But I'm going to say, not usually. You know what God gives us? Contentment. Contentment. 
Why? Because seeking wealth is not a good thing. Seeking contentment is a very good thing. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. What is he talking about here? Spiritual necessities, godliness, contentment, daily provision. Then he goes on. But those who desire to be rich. In other words, what have you set your heart on? Are you praying for money? Are you praying to be rich? Are you praying for more cattle? Are you praying for your land holdings to be increased? What do you desire? What are you desiring? What's the outcome of that sort of faith? They fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What are we praying for? I know some folk would be very quick to say to me, but Michael, it's talking about the love of money. It's not talking about money itself. And of course, I don't love money. But here it's talking about what we desire. What do we desire? And most often we will pray for what we desire and we desire what we love. Are you praying for things? Are you praying for prosperity? For physical blessings. Perhaps that might be revealing a love of money. That's not a good thing. Jesus has just been teaching us to pray for things of the Spirit. What are the good things that Jesus wants us to pray for? We've already seen it. We pray for the necessities of the spiritual life. And in verse 13, we come to the very pinnacle of the necessities to live a spiritual life, the Holy Spirit. If humans who are sinners know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give what to those who ask Him? It should actually be who. He'll give us the Holy Spirit. How can we be transformed to live a life for God? How could we live a spiritual life, a life where we do desire the things of our Heavenly Father? How can we mere mortals be in tune with God and pray for the things of His Spirit instead of praying for those empty, shallow things of give me more? I'll tell you how, with this good gift of our Heavenly Father, he will give the Holy Spirit to those who...
who ask him. The pinnacle of what we need to live a spiritual life is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he transforms us from within so that our mind is in tune with his mind. We will seek the things of God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit transforms the prayers that we pray. And when a person is truly filled with the Holy Spirit, they're not going to be focused on the things of the flesh. The prayers that we pray will be guided by the Spirit and they will be spiritual prayers, not prayers of the flesh dressed up to look spiritual. We can be guilty of that sometimes where we really, really want something but we sort of dress it up to look spiritual. Oh God, I really, really want such and such and if I have that, then I'll be able to witness to this person. So when we pray, don't hold back. Ask for whatever you need to live a spiritual life. Be bold, dare to ask, because we know that our Heavenly Father will answer every spiritual prayer. And be filled with the Spirit, for He is the good gift of the Father. Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And Lord, we pray that your kingdom come would come in our lives. That your kingdom would come in our lives by giving to us the good gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts, fill, transform our minds, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to pray for things of your kingdom and not to be focused on things of the flesh. And Lord, may the joy of the, of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit overflow from our lives that we would sing praises and worship you. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Amen.